This hour is brought to you by Illinois Bone and Joint Institute. James Feigen. Yes, James. James Feigen's got some branding on his laptop. Making sure everybody knows that he's joined the Athletic. Can never get too much exposure. On Twitter at JR Feigen. I can anticipate this question is probably way too early, but excellent. Too soon. <laughs> too soon. Asking the questions to get the answers you need. If you knew that Abreu was available to be the runner there, would you have gone to him instead of Hendrick? Yeah, if I'd known that, I didn't know that. Let's check the rule. I'm guessing you know the rules better. Now I know. James Feigen with Bernstein and Holmes on 670 The Score. We started out the show by talking White Sox, and we're getting back to it right now with James Feigen. He is on Twitter at J.R. Feigen. The White Sox reporter for The Athletic is on The Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Every time I see that a Bob Nightingale Sox story pops up, James, I, I roll my eyes and I sit up in bed and I go, oh, God, what now? And now it's apparently trying to rehabilitate what the and, and relitigate what the Tony Larusa experience was. I'm not sure at whose behest, but I have a guess. Uh, my blood runs cold in anticipation of a Jerry Reinsdorf one-on-one. So I, it, it runs a gamut of, of emotional reactions for me. <laughs> <laughs> James, now now that the the MLB has concluded their investigation into Mike Clevenger, and Clevenger is a a member in good standing of the White Sox, from the baseball standpoint, what have the early reports been about him as a pitcher? Um, I mean, the big issue for him signing him was the knee, and he's kind of stated since you know he signed that he felt like it wasn't um, inhibiting anything of his work. Um, and a very unfortunately timed interview I had with Ethan Katz right before the uh, investigation broke. Uh, he said that it hadn't inhibited anything he had done all offseason either, and that they're really excited about getting his uh, you know arm action, his release point back up to where it was, and that you know his knee was allowing him to do it. And it was really kind of a misconception that you know coming off TJ is why he struggled last year. It was really all about this this knee injury. So as long as they're claiming it's hundred percent. You know, I think saying let's have a you know a Pete Clevenger year where he throws 200 innings is probably a little over aggressive, but yeah, I, I think that's where all your optimism is based off the guy. Guy's been an above average pitcher when he's healthy, and you know they're claiming he's healthy. The the knee injury is is kind of been mentioned a couple times because Michael Kopech had also brought up of him going through the knee injury last year and maybe being a better pitcher for it. What does he mean by that? Um, I think. Yeah, kind of a thread, common thread when Kopech was like coming to the minors is that, you know, anything he developed was because he really had to uh, like really set himself to develop because he could have gotten through basically at least the triple A by just throwing heaters by everybody. And that was definitely true. Um, a little bit of his first year of starting like that big Yankee stadium start. He didn't have like the best breaking ball command. He had his best fastball and he, he rode it up the top of the zone and, you know, got through it. So the second half of the year, the good starts that you saw was a lot about either he was commanding well or he really had feel for his slider and was using it well or the fact that he even had to go to the third pitch as often as he did a lot of last year and had more comfort with his curveball. I always, I'm a little bit, you know, I, I think every every uh, spring training is about like, I'm going to throw my change up so much more. Uh, I, I definitely believe it when I see it a bit more with him and Cease just because they're very geared towards, you know, throwing everything hard, hard, hard. But it, it's about, him using a bit more of the tools uh, 
in his bag than just blowing everybody away. Uh, as much as that's what we've said about him for five years, it's, it's true. He, when he's right, when he has his power fastball, he can do that. When it comes to the the new rules and the pitch clock, I, I feel like Kopech might be a candidate for it affecting him maybe more than other pitchers because he's always maximum effort when when he's throwing. How will he address the fact that he might not have time to, as we've joked about, like to reload the power bar between pitches? It could take a little something from him, I guess. Uh, you know, it remains to be seen how much it really wears on him physically over the course of the season. And you know, I think he's a pretty good athlete. I, I don't think he's somebody. You know, it hasn't had this huge effect in the minors that you know I'd expect power pitchers to just fall off a cliff in in some way. But yeah, it's something to watch. I. If I want to be optimistic, you know, Kopech's a guy who's really had trouble holding runners uh, the last two years uh, in any form, especially as a reliever in 2021 and, and still last year, too. So if this is something that can kind of get him more, uh, you know, I, I think everyone's going to struggle a bit more holding runners, but, you know, get him out of that slow pace and get him a bit more like steady and, and have a more set routine and, and a bit more like in his head and kind of laboring on the next pitch, maybe have him a bit more, you know, on rhythm could be something that could help him i, I don't know just, just something that gets him out of the kind of the the slower pace that he works at, at times you know maybe that could be beneficial in some way jose abreu said the white Sox were not a family the astros are a family and tim anderson says yeah he's he's right i totally get it those are two of your purported leaders on this team just sort of you know owning whatever responsibility we think that leaders would have in trying to build those those connections. Who are the position player leaders? Is it someone amazingly like the a late ad in Elvis Andrews? Who, who's that guy? Who do you expect to emerge? I mean, he's certainly being touted as such. It, it seems like something that's got to really kind of get formed over camp. Uh, I mean, long term, wouldn't you want I mean, as much as there's a language barrier and there've been younger guys and they've been quieter? Wouldn't you want? Luis Robert and Eloy Menez to kind of step up into that at, at some point eventually. It seems like it's necessary since they're your best players. I, I certainly think a healthier Tim is in a more place to be, you know, energetic and vocal. Uh, it's more of a, you know, get everybody going type than maybe, uh, you know, the, the disciplinarian or the, the, you know, the 35 year old grouchy vet. So maybe that can, not that Elvis Anderson is grouchy, but may, maybe that can be a bit more that falls on him. Certainly a, a healthier Yasmani Grandal in his fourth season uh, has a bit more sway now. Uh, Every, every it's even just Lance Lynn last year, it's hard. It was hard for him to lead while he's rehabbing a knee injury, where he's going back and forth in Charlotte. Uh, I think a lot of these guys, if they're healthier and they're around and they're playing, there's a bit more ability to say something. You know, even Joe Kelly uh, is someone who's is very vocal, but you know was rehabbing all of last year, uh, seemingly in the first half. So uh, I think <laughs> just be healthy could could apply to the whole leadership aspect as well. How would you describe? the way that Pedro Grifol has run his camp? Um, extra, like, very much like, what's the old saying that, like, um, you know, nobody, no no rapper's, like, second album can ever compare to the first because they've been thinking of the first for, like, their entire life. Pedro Grifol has, like, been wanting to be a manager for the last 20 years. He's had been building this idea in his head of how he wants to run his camp and all these things he wants done and how ordered and processed he wants it to be. And he's been talking with his running buddies, Eddie Rodriguez and, uh, you know, Mike Tozar about how he wants to run it. It's, it's very much like, this is like this big plan, this big, like he wants things to be orderly. He wants things on his checklist. He wants to like know what everything's doing at that time. It, it's that kind of like first year energy and, and wanting everything to be done and having a lot of checkpoints. I made some like joke to him one day about like, Oh, it's, 
how's this weather treating you? And he like stopped in his tracks and turned to me. He's like, it's not cooperating with me. And, like ran through like three things that he had to adjust in his schedule like that. And I was like, I was just trying to make a joke, man. But <laughs> that's kind of the vibe that he's carrying with him. Do you think that it, it's, at, can you see a difference in the players in, in, in what he's trying to accomplish? Like as far as like their buy-in to what's a little bit of a different camp than what they've had. I mean, yeah, it looks good. It's it's definitely everybody like it's you're seeing a bit more game speed in, in the spring training action, for at least from what I've seen. Um, you know, I, I feel like I'd be lying if I said I saw like these huge warning signs last year that maybe I would have known that everything was going to turn south. There's a lot of just everybody saying this is the most talented team we've ever been on. We should be fine. Uh, we should be good. And, and now, like looking back, it seems presumptuous, but. Now everybody's saying you know, we got a chip on their shoulder and they're looking energized and they're you know practicing these these things that they uh, you know were bad at. There's a lot more you know people talking about the energy, the fielding drills, and all whatnot. It sounds good, but uh, you know may, maybe something will go sideways and we'll, we'll look back on it differently and, and maybe we'll we'll cite to like hey they just you know had a chip on their shoulder last year. They're really mad and you know they they actually play to their talent level this season. I, I I'm so worried about thinking like some infield drill look good on March 7th and saying that's going to apply to a playoff in, in six months from now. That, that, that just seems hard to really figure. So 10 o'clock tonight on FS1, the Netherlands against Cuba. If you want to stay up late and watch some WBC baseball, you can. So that means there are some White Sox who are absent from camp already and have been. And I'm just wondering, as we start talking about how this team comes together, the timing isn't great for a team with a new manager that's really looking to reinvigorate itself and have so many important players who are off doing other things. Yeah, uh, you know, I think the White Sox certainly encouraged the uh everyone to participate who wanted to um if anything you know i I think that there was a lot of you know off-season meeting with guys like robert who are going to be playing that game that i i think there's probably the rapport with grifol and the staff already in place um you know it remains to be seen uh to a degree um certainly the kind of younger players they have in in camp right now or your romy gonzalez's or your gavin sheets the guys that are trying to fight for a spot you know they have a long opportunity to really get a, a look and figure out how the roles are going to be on the flip side but yeah it's not the best thing but everyone's talking about how it's been addressed and how things are better this year they can already tell so it'll, it'll be put to the test uh, right away i suppose james how would you how would you say that your feelings about the new rules or what you thought about the new rules jibe with what you've learned talking to players about the new rules uh I mean, even just talking to guys in AAA last year, it was a lot of like, I was really pissed for two two weeks and then I got used to it type of thing. Like, uh, I remember Sebi Zavala was very like, you know, I, I can't believe this is what people kind of want. One, he was complaining, you know, I thought was a very justified. If I get 95 thrown in my head, I want a, like a moment to think about it a little bit afterwards before I get back in the box. But also like, it, it just seemed like a different you know, a departure from the rhythm of baseball and why is everyone in such a rush to get out of here? But after two weeks, he said, I made the adjustment. I was playing. It was fine. So I, I, I'm interested to see if it really just opens things up for Yasmani Grandal or, you know, the shift really has this big impact on their left-handed bats. But I, I think there's going to be, I'm, I'm of the side of 
it's not going to be this huge sea change other than, you know, we're going to be out of the park a lot sooner. And uh, I'm probably not going to have my stories done by final pitch uh, <laughs> pretty much all season. Have you talked to anybody around the team about the baseball and, and which one is going to be in use with all of the, the work that's been done by Meredith Wills and others and recognizing how many different balls were in play last year? I'm just wondering, is there, are there any whispers about, you know, it's going to take us 25 games to know what we're using? Uh, no, because I was kind of waiting for the 25 games to know, what, okay. know what you're using and see what the complaints are. So uh, I hadn't gotten on that, but yeah, uh, shout out to Meredith Wills and, and certainly Bradford, uh, William Davis, who, who worked on that, that story. That was, you know, very much a, a big, uh, you know, put a big ripple through the league. Well, since you've gone through and, and talked to and written about the, the rotation and tried to figure out kind of where things stand, I I'd love to catch up on Lucas Giolito and, Everything like the body change, like what he's working on this season. What what do you what have you seen, and what do you expect to see from him going forward? Um, I'm probably expecting more like the 2021 season, like a baseline season, more than I'm expecting some sort of big breakthrough. You know, he was saying he was 92, 93 after his last start. He's when I talked to him about it more he really just emphasized not the arm actually getting longer but just kind of loosening up a bit and and maybe getting back to a bit more where it was when he first shortened it he felt like it was more getting shorter shorter and shorter over time more than rather than like he's seeing some sort of drawback from the, the change he made in general it, the whole it, it's it's not best shape of his life it's not best delivery of his life it's it's back to normal is really what he's touting so I, i'm not so much expecting like this is what's going to make him take the next step and he's going to you know be a cy young but i i, I think a, a mid three five uh you know era is kind of what you hope for and started to expect from lucas Giolito. and you know that that's ideally we get back to i i don't think this is necessarily like you know the fourth pitch or um you know him throwing 97 like he seemed like it was his goal last year it seems more like what I have is enough. Let's just get back to it was the mindset from him. I'm wondering, too, that he was one of the early spin rate guys, and we started looking at those numbers after the crackdown on sticky stuff. And now MLB is saying they're going to crack down again because they think that there were some people who were maybe sneaking back to the substances that were helping him. Did, I, did you Any discussion with him about how he has been adapting to life without that? Uh, yeah, definitely at the time in 2021, I, I think it's something that everybody goes through, but you know, he had a, he had a strong second half that year after the crackdown started, uh, you know, he felt like he found a way to kind of deal with it and, and still get the action that he was, he was looking for. So I, I wouldn't, I didn't necessarily see the big smoking gun of like, he struggled post crackdown in some way that, you know, he wasn't able to get the same action on his four seamer that he wanted. A lot of the metrics that the second half of that year were strong is really when the velocity fell off a cliff that you saw, you know, a spin rate, you know, cause obviously velocity is tied to spin a little bit, um, you know, last season. So I, I wasn't necessarily clocking him for, for that is the reason falling apart, but, but sure. I, I think there's a lot of, you know, you know, Writing four seamer types in this rotation, you have to see how they're going to, you know, exist this year. That's kind of what they've built this, uh, you know, staff around is having those kind of big riding fastballs. So it's definitely something they have to to factor in and uh, show that they can exist without. But uh, I didn't necessarily have somebody who I had a red flag of. Let's see how they do. Uh, you know, when the you know league wide spin rate drops like two hundred RPMs or whatever is going to happen. What's Grafol thinking for the back end of the bullpen? He keeps touting, um, you know, 
uh, of movement or by committee or, you know, talking about how Graveman and Lopez are potentially guys that can do it. Um, you know, something he also is, he's not going to be the guy who, um, you know, uses his closer or any kind of certain high leverage reliever three days in a row, just because he's a closer type of situation. So he wanted to have multiple ninth inning options simply for the idea of not tying his own hands to, um, you know, use a guy who's you know clearly fatigued in the highest leverage moment. So I think anybody who's really of that group of, you know, Graveman, Lopez, Kelly, uh, I would certainly think if Garrett Crochet looks like 2020 Garrett Crochet, that's a guy who, who steps up and is a big part of that really quickly uh, as well. I, I expect them all to have, you know, more than zero saves uh, over the course of the first half. Are, is this team set or are there any – like positional battles that you're paying attention to over the next couple of weeks. I mean, I think it, I mean, if you're opening that one, if sorry, the, are they really going to commit to just opening day Oscar Colas? Cause that kind of makes it a little bit of a guesswork for where you fit in sheets situationally. And if you have two lefty corner bats, um, does, does having Jake Berger on the bench to, to really kill when you face a left-handed start, does that make a bit more sense situationally? Are they really married to Romy Gonzalez when they're contractually committed to, to Larry Garcia? I think that's something they kind of have to figure out a bit. And obviously there's you know a bit of fourth outfielder fun you could have if you want to make a role for, for Billy Hamilton just because um, you know it seems like it's easier to steal bases. And, but, uh, and that situation would allow you to maybe play around with Romy Gonzalez more or have to um, also waste some decision where you're going to have Sheets and Berger at the same time because you have to have enough defensive flexibility to guard both the middle infield and the center field if you're going to carry two guys who don't necessarily have uh, or really a lot of positional versatility, to, to put it lightly. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot going on, at least in terms of the bench, for what to figure out. James Fegan, thanks so much. Man, all well, right. right then. Well, well, I guess I guess we know where we stand in yeah. James Fegan's life, right? Man, it's not even my favorite Fegan. <laughs> How about that? He's number three on the Fegan power rankings. We have some breaking news here. Breaking news on six seventy. The score is presented by BetQL. Smarter bets start with BetQL. Download the BetQL app or visit betql.com today. Diana Rossini of ESPN says the New York Jets have flown on Woody Johnson's private plane to California to meet with Aaron Rodgers in person, per sources. They land soon. The Green Bay Packers have given New York permission to speak with Rodgers. It is, Rob Domofsky refers to it as a contingent of Jets team officials. Yeah, Florio brought this up this morning with Mully and Haw, and I'm glad that he did. There's like a misstep in the reporting, and that misstep was... Aaron Rodgers can't be talking to the Jets without the Packers knowing it and giving him permission to do so. So I'm glad that we've got that part cleared up. And also, the Buccaneers are releasing left tackle Donovan Smith. Oh. Eh. I sure. Fine. Okay. Just, sure. Just keeping you caught up. It's fine. When we come back, uh, Lance Lynn and Sebi Zavala both had a lot to say about the way play is going to be paced now and where the advantages may lie and what they're learning about how these these times in between pitches are going to really change the game in a lot of ways. Hashtag change the game. That's next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. 
this game's going to look different. If you haven't watched spring training games to get an idea for what's going on, did you see Eric Hosmer just got busted for not being attentive to the pitcher? Yep. See that video? He's scratching his feet in the dirt and looking down, looking down, looking down. I just, I, I don't know how all the umpires can all get this exactly right, but he got docked for not being attentive to the pitcher. And it was a strike. It's a thing. And it's, it's been fun, like, listening to players talk about it in a very serious manner. We had Tucker Barnhart on the show Friday, and he had discussed it in, in, in great detail about how he feels about some of this stuff. Uh, the White Sox Talk podcast has done a great job with this. Like Chuck and Guff, they basically went through all of their interviews when asking guys about the rules changes and got their thoughts on it. One of the things that stood out to me was Lance Lynn talking about the the pitch clock and what our perception of the pitch clock is versus what he thinks the reality is. You said something interesting that I was hearing from certain hitters about the pitch clock. Everyone thinks it's going to be tough on the pitchers, and you're like, no, no, it's the hitters, right? When everything starts, whether it's quick, slow, in the middle, they have to be in the box waiting on us. Think about just standing in the box waiting for a guy to start. Is he going to start at 8? Is he going to start at 1? Is he going to start at 5? When's he going to do it? How's he going to do it? Uh, so it's obviously our advantage. Now, how are you going to make sure you do that by not speeding yourself up and making bad pitches is the real question. Aha. And that, you know, Max Scherzer, you, we watched what he was doing making it clear that he had the advantage that he was doing that. Is it going to be, if you're thinking about where that count is, the quick pitch, the guy might be a little bit more ready for, but you can do it one time and then hold for an extra beat. And that goes down to holding runners too. of just, there, there's going to be a rhythm thing. This is going to carry through a start and they're going to, you're going to get into it. And I think it's really cool. It's really cool to see Scherzer work the the syncopation of the 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 jazz of everything right like figuring out where yeah. he can jump in for his solo it, and, right and right and do his thing from pitch to pitch right like like getting cued in almost i i kept wondering and we'll get to the sebi zavala on this too i'm wondering does this open up an opportunity for major league baseball to change some game times not yet like it, it, it if will. we see if we see in in a year that the games are averaging two thirty five, let's say, do you say, well, if we're the White Sox, maybe we give our our guys a little bit longer to get here instead of a seven ten first pitch at seven thirty? Do you move stuff up? Because well, I think you lose the advantage then by starting later. I mean, the whole idea is to be done with your night earlier, right? But I'm saying like you could take advantage of it. I'm wondering, do you go either way with it? Because I think if you say six thirty, even though it's going to be, then you're going to. I can't. I work and I can't get from work to there. Why do you expect me to get from a factory there in time? I'm I'm coming from a factory in Joliet. I can't make it. I'm not going. Gotta go and take care of my sixteen kids. <laughs> I can't afford to take all 16 of my kids to a game. Do you know what that costs? Hey, Bernstein. They don't care about their fans. Tell the White Sox that the beer's too expensive. Hey, guys, great interview with Theo, and I definitely miss him. First off, the pitch clock. Who's watching the pitch clock? Is it like a buzzer that goes off after 15 seconds? <laughs> Spe- speaking of beer? I don't get it. 
I mean, there there is a a a story going on with that. Oh, with the concession strike? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it really is. With the Big Ten tournament coming up, I I, I believe they're, they're at the negotiating table today. The Big Ten tournament starts tomorrow afternoon, right? Might want to get that fixed because people who were at the Bulls game on Sunday, I saw one dude say that he went to go get food and there was six minutes left in the three minutes left in the first quarter and he came back and it was six minutes left in the second quarter. And he probably came back with like a box lunch because that's all they were handing out. Yep. So, workers' rights, man. People care about stuff. Anyway, Sebi Zavala had this to say about the changes in the rules. It was a little, took me a little time to get used to, especially on the offensive side. Defensive side, it wasn't too bad because I like to work quick and uh, keep the hitter. I like to set the tempo. So on the defensive side, it wasn't too hard. But on the offensive side where I like to take my time, it definitely took me a week or two to get used to. Um, got struck out a couple times. Um, Did one end the game? Yeah, one end of the game. The other one, I think, was in the ninth inning, too. So it was always in a big situation, which kind of made me mad. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's probably going to be an adjustment again uh, for me and for other guys. But this is a game of adjustments anyway, so we got to figure out how to be the best at whatever the rules are, and that's our job. A lot of people are just assuming, oh, it's going to be tougher on the pitchers. But the more I'm talking to guys, it's really also – an issue or maybe even more of an issue for the hitters like you're saying yeah i mean um when i was in the minor leagues i was playing first and the, the speed of the game was quicker um but i think defensively we adjusted way faster than on the hitting side um the adjustments were made and maybe it took some people longer than others but um eventually everybody figured it out i mean you have to figure it out those are the rules and the umpires are sticking to it. We have to figure out a way to compete that way. That's what it's. That's the idea. Yes, they, the umpires are sticking to it. This is the this is the rule. Everybody's playing by these. Where are the advantages? How are you already and the and the smart teams? How are you already trying to yes. game the system? Yes, the smart teams are figuring out what they can do to make them more likely to win. I've seen some interesting shifting, but Theo did say. That if they see some stuff that keeps happening, they're going to put another rule in. So you can move your left fielder around if you want. F-A-F-O. When we come back, get off John Miller's lawn. Yeah! You're listening to Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. So John Miller is one of the senior play-by-play baseball voices. He is one of my favorite voices. He is with KNBR. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! And over the weekend, he was broadcasting the Giants and the Diamondbacks split squad contest, and he apparently took issue with Arizona's professionalism. Here's a curveball, and that's in for a strike. I'm guessing, I have to guess, the D-backs decided, ah, the heck with the big leagues. Let's just not be a big league team for the split squad. Here's the 1-1 pitch, and a fastball swung on a miss by Bryce Johnson. It's 1-2. They have sent 
no public relations people over here. No information about who the manager is or anything at all about him. So if they don't want to be a big league team, we'll just treat him like a sandlot team. So they give us no information about anything. So one of those guys in a red shirt managing and a right-hander, one of their right-handers on the mound. And there's a ball up and away. Three and two the count. I mean, there are certain things that go along with being a big league team, like try to act like a big league team. Three and two the count to Bryce Johnson. Here's Sacconi. And the pitch is bounced to second over to his right. Backhanding it, Castillo. And he throws out Johnson at first. See, I even had names. Did a little homework on what little we have, which is nothing whatsoever from the, uh, the Bush League D-backs. We go to the third inning. The Giants won. Dude! Wow! Now, he's he, not wrong. He, he's not wrong at all to take it to that level as a choice. What he's describing is some version of the play-by-play anxiety dream mm-hmm. where there are players on the field and no one's giving you a roster. Like, that's a literal nightmare. And you're a radio And you're a radio broadcaster. That is, and I'm telling you, I've had it for forever going back 35 years. That's a literal nightmare. Yep. And the, the version that I've had is I get there and the seat doesn't – you can't see the field from the seat. And they say, well, you're, you're the first person you're visiting radio to complain. Nobody else complains. Like, I can't see the field. I have to describe the action. Well, nobody else complains. This is where visiting radio is. This, is. this is your seat. Not having a roster for a game yeah. that's being broadcast is uh, malpractice. It's not, it's not good business. And, and this is I get it. I believe me, I get it. Look, Dan, this isn't a franchise that's far away. Your home office is there. Yeah, print a roster. What are you, got, you doing? You've got a big media relations staff. They've got one job, and that job is just to get at a, at a minimum. And this is from somebody who did low A. In the pros, I did low A ball, and and at a minimum, there would be name and number, and we could the the league database would have the most recent stats. I don't need a full biography of every player because players come and go in the minors. All you need is a note. Just just give me give me a one sheeter, a player, a roster, and a note. Give me a one sheeter, and and the idea of who is managing like that's significant too. We have which is nothing whatsoever. From the uh, the Bush League D-backs. Oh. We go to the third inning. The Giants oh. won. Oh. <laughs> Woo. And, and you know what's funny? I don't know if you've been. You haven't because it's hockey. But that Yotes franchise, also a disaster. Yeah, they're playing in a college arena. Lazarus posted a picture of like the workout area for opposing teams. And it was just like a grassy knoll. Like it's. So I don't know what's happening with the sports franchises that aren't the Suns in Arizona, but bad, 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 bad. I don't even think for a while for the Coyotes, they weren't charging for parking. No one there wants them there. You just drove up and parked. Which is interesting because Arizona and Las Vegas are becoming like boom places for hockey players. Mm Mm-hmm. 
There's a there's a lot of you know that's starting to be a thing, but no one cares about the Coyotes, nor should they, because they're terrible. And apparently, the Bush League D backs. Man, that's and that that that's that's a that's a heavyweight that's broadcaster. A made guy. That's a heavyweight going in on you. I appreciate that. And, and the way he says it, he makes it sound so pleasant too, right? We have, which is nothing whatsoever, from the uh, the Bush League D backs. We go to the third inning. <laughs> Back after this. I love that. That's great. Parkinson Spiegel will join us next on The Score.